This episode of the podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. If you're in school right now, there's more than just your grades that you need to care for. There's your physical and your mental health. With BetterHelp, you'll be able to connect in a safe, private online environment that's so convenient you can start communicating with your own licensed therapist in under 48 hours. Guys, this is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's literally professional counseling done securely. This service is available for clients all over the world. You'll be able to send messages to your counselor any time of the day, and you'll get quick, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can even schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is just an all-around great service, confidential, convenient, professional, and of course, affordable. I want you to start living a happier life, and as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash listener. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash listener. It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we welcome you back to episode number 94, where today we are joined by fellow author and inventor, Clement DeCrop. So, Clement, how are you today? You want to maybe give a quick little introduction to yourself to our vast Dude, audience? Of course. Here? First of all, thank you for having me, uh, Ray and Parker. I'm excited to be here. So, yep. So my name is Clément. Uh, I was born in Belgium. Then I moved to Spain. Then I moved to the U.S. Uh, when I was like around six. Then I went to a small like middle school with around 23 kids. Then to a high school with 600 kids. Then went to Penn State that had four, like 10,000 kids in my grade. So, whoop. <laughs> then mechanical yeah, engineering. <laughs> <laughs> um, after mechanical engineering, uh, I wanted to do consulting. And uh, a lot of the recruiters told me I didn't have any financial experience. And I was like, well, I just did mechanical engineering. How was I supposed to get financial experience? Um, so then after that, I did a one-year master's program at Penn State and then worked at IBM where I worked on IoT projects, a couple kind of data analytics role, did some pat- patenting, like I told you guys before this. Um, and then also uh, worked on a large sales presentation uh, for the NSA, which was pretty interesting. But after all that, I was just like, I was like, there was, I was like, there's more to life, right? I was just working at a job and I put so much work in on what I was doing and I wasn't getting any direct reward. So I was like, what if I just like bet on myself, right? What if I just went all in? So I went on leave for this past year uh, and I wrote a book called The Idea Space, which we'll talk about a little bit, I'm sure. Um, so 100%. I wrote that, finished it. Uh, and now I'm like working on all the different um, marketing aspects of it, but the, the big question was like, I was super interested in math and physics. Once This is what's why I did engineering. But then um, I was just like, how does math apply to like consciousness, right? It can, How do we take the concepts of like groupings and countability versus uncountability and apply that to the mind in a way that's cohesive and congruent with modern physics, right? And that was kind of like mm-hmm. the, the birth of an idea space. 
that is and that's I also mean, something okay. that we've like touched on i guess um we've done a couple episodes on like philosophy and we talked about consciousness but i guess we've never g- really gone into it as far mm-hmm. as you have you know having written a, an entire book on it so we're really excited to get to know a lot more about uh the idea space and all the awesome mm-hmm. mathematical and physical ties because usually when we talk about this level of like philosophy we're talking very well philosophically and just from a, from a perspective of hey we're interested in this in this unknown world of consciousness so like let's explore it a little bit just by asking like easy logical questions but you're taking it to the very next step and actually getting in the physics of it so i'm actually quite quite excited to mm-hmm. hear about the physics of such a philosophical element so i'm very excited for that it's gonna be yeah, it's all about getting yeah. like a a, mu- a common layer of understanding, right? Something Richard mm-hmm. Feynman talks about a, a lot about like physics is an, an approximation of the world around us, right? So how do we approximate consciousness? Also, I'm so sorry yeah. by completely butchering your name. <laughs> you said it was dude. Clement, don't sweat it. And it's I so just, hard. I'm so sorry. I just I noticed it when you said it, and I'm like I can't not say anything about this, so I just have to mention it. <laughs> no, you're good. Okay, so, so so let's introduce yeah. the podcast a little bit. Some news before we get uh, before we get straight into it. Uh, yeah, so really quickly, the giveaway is live on our Instagram oh, yeah. at math.physics.podcast. Um, it went up yesterday, so we're going to announce the winner in exactly one week from now. So make sure to go and episode 95. that. Yeah, episode 95, it will be announced. So just drop it all the way until like Sunday of next week. So you guys have time. And yeah, who knows? It's going to be a fun And we're uh, also doing like one giveaway every episode for the next eight episodes so we're gonna announce the winner and another and another giveaway every single episode so uh stay tuned for that also really quickly we have the comment of the week this week comes from black star studio they say i really enjoy what you guys have created i've always loved physics and i've always been afraid it would be too hard this is my last semester of, of psychology, and I'm going to continue and earn a physics degree also. I wish I um, would have done that from the start. Listening to you two talk and share your love for physics is really inspiring. I look forward to seeing great things from you guys in the future. So thank you so much for wow. that amazing comment. And uh, if you want to be next week's comment of the week, go to our YouTube channel. And under this video, you can leave a comment and you might be next week's comment of the week. Yeah, super simple. Um, Updating you guys on the news a little bit. On our downloads, we're nearly 400K. We're at 375 right now. So that's a pretty big moment. Um, 500 is going to be so amazing. I'm so excited for that. So thank you for everyone to continue to download our podcasts. And as you all know, Spotify now has a rating feature. So go ahead and rate the podcast five stars. If that is obviously how you feel. I should say that. On our YouTube, we're popping off with 2,200 subscribers. Uh, I think the YouTube subscriber count is a little weird because there are like multiple. It's a little messy with the the creators these days, but it's around 2,250. So thank you to everyone who continues to listen to us. Watch us on YouTube because, yeah, we're, I guess, an audio and a video podcast now. So I guess uh, that's basically it. I don't think we have any more news, so we can just get into... The podcast very simply uh Clement, we've already kind of you already kind of given us your little bit of a backstory into how you how you briefly got into it but how about i officially ask you how did you get into this world of engineering physics and math and especially how did it end 
with you writing this book. <laughs> yeah. Well, first off, congrats on all the awesome accolades. You guys are killing it. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, I was always a nerd. I love doing Rubik's cubes and all the nerd stuff. So oh, yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like continued down that path. I really wanted to know how the world worked on a fundamental level, right? Like, what are forces? How do forces work? If I push a lamp this way, why does it go that way, right? And I just kind of like continuously um, wanted to learn, right? Wanted to deeply understand how the world worked on a fundamental level. Uh, and then it got to a point where when I was working, I was like not learning much more. So I just bought a bunch of books. And I think books are really important because they're kind of like a melding of idea spaces between like the author mm -hmm. who wrote it and then the person reading it. And I read uh, Abstract Algebra by Charles Pugh, who was a Berkeley professor, which is an amazing book on just how to think in terms of proofs and like math and just analysis in general. And then I read... Um, the David Dummett and Richard Foote's masterpiece called Abstract Algebra, which is just a behemoth of a book, but it just talks about algebra really well and kind of like the structure of groups and rings and all that fun stuff. Um, but then I, I also love physics. So like, how did I, how do I expand my um, breadth of physics? And then I just kept reading as well, right? Books are the best way to learn. Um, I read a lot of Sean Carroll. He's an idol of mine. Um, read the Richard Feynman lectures online, which are like the top lectures anyone can read. Um, and then I wanted to go deeper. So I read The Large Scale Structure of Space-Time by Stephen Hawking, which is a masterpiece. Uh, and then I also, yeah, there you go. Uh, Sean Carroll's the man. Um, and I like Sean Carroll too, because he's like philosophical. And then the last yeah, book I read yeah. that was really nice was uh, The Early Universe by Michael Cobb and someone Turner, Edward Turner, I feel. Or I might've mixed up their names, but that was all about like the Big Bang and kind of like, if, if general relativity gives you the framework for the, how the universe works, um, quantum mechanics tells you how to, like, the stuff inside the universe. So that's kind of, like, how I got there. And then I was just, like, I loved mindfulness. I thought that was a really important tool for just growth, um, personal growth, and then just also, like, relationship growth and all aspects of life. And I really thought that that's what was missing in today's physics, right? Like, how do you talk about consciousness in a way that uses the same language as we talk about stars, physics, and like space and time. So that was kind of like the birth of the idea space. Yeah, great question. Wow. That's awesome. Um, so you've written the the book called The Idea Space. Now, for all of our listeners out there who are probably saying, what the hell is an idea space? <laughs> Give us a brief little introduction to what is the idea space? Yeah, another great question. So an idea space consists of your thoughts, emotions, sensations, and perceptions. So thoughts includes words, pictures, songs. Emotions includes pleasant, unpleasant, anything in between. Sensations are the classical five sensations, right? And then perception is just the ability to recognize something. So like I see a mic, I know that's a mic, right? So those are the elements of consciousness and those are the elements of an idea space. Another element of an idea space is the null set. So if you're not familiar with the null set, it's just nothing, like nothing at all. So if something is like missing in a table, it's not, it's the null set. There's just nothing there. Um, so those are the elements of, of the idea space. And there's also an identity to an idea space. And the identity of an idea space is essentially the one thing you'll remember of, out of an idea space. So if you're listening to this live, right, you're probably kind of like listening to a whole lot of conversation. And then at the end, you're going to have a takeaway, right? And what is that takeaway? That's going to be the identity of your idea space. So that's kind of like the fundamental properties of an idea space. But from there, 
we can get into the more mathematical properties, which are the idea space is uncountable and the idea space has zero measure. Um, so having uncountable is a doozy of, of a conversation, but the basic way to understand it is to relate it to something else that's uncountable. So according to general relativity, uh, it's the how we measure stuff is based on the real numbers, right? Um, and the essential argument is, is this, right? Let's say that you have your x-axis is like looking right in front of you, your y-axis is looking to the right, and then your z-axis is looking straight up. Essentially, imagine you have a ruler that's coming out in your x-axis and it just extends for however long you want. And you can make any single measurement that you want, 2.23, 5.68, 0.2342, whatever you want, right? Let's say that you list an infinite amount of them. The whole argument is, and this was developed by a guy named Gregor Cantor in the late 1800s, is that for any argument that you, for every measurement that you make, I can always pick a measurement that you did not make, right? And the the basic gist of it is basically saying you introduce a new number where the first decimal point of that new number is not equal to the first decimal point of your first measurement, then the second decimal point of that new number you introduce is not equal to the second decimal point of that second measurement you make, and then you just keep iterating this until infinity. Um, and you get a new number that wasn't in, in all your infinite amount of measurements. So uncountability and, and the real numbers being uncountable just means that there's a larger size of infinity, right, with the real numbers than the natural numbers, the rational numbers, and the integers, which are a, a, a smaller size of infinity. So where does the whole premise of the idea space being I, I i don't think that that point has really honed in with me yet if you want to yep. give that another an, an, another shot like where 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 comes the uh, the point of the idea space being uncountable definitely great i'm just trying to understand so, between like uncountable or like is it countably infinite is it countable but in but like in like you know what i mean when i say like countably yeah. infinite as well right they're all like mathematical ways to describe because countable and uncountable might seem like oh they're just words in english but in math they're like vastly different things so i just yes. want to ask you to maybe hone in on that point a little bit what what makes the idea space uncountable yep so i'll give the intuitive argument and then i will go into the math of it because i think that'll let's be interesting too let's hear it uh so Again, the intuitive argument for why space-time is uncountable is because there will always be a measurement that I can make that you did not make. So for the idea space, the argument is that there will always be an idea that is had that wasn't had before. So this can be based on the proposition that each discovery has a new idea or a new question, right? And to give a more concrete example, let's say you're living in 1680, right? Pre-gravity. And let's say you try to count all the idea spaces of everybody that's living right there. You just get an infinite amount, right? But then in like 1686 or whenever Newton developed, uh, dropped uh, Principia Mathematica, the new idea of gravity came, right? So where was that idea in the infinite list of ideas before, right? It wasn't there. And you can get like the same concept goes with idea spaces, right? Like before you guys heard of an idea space, you had like all these thoughts and you could count all the infinite amount of ideas. And then a new thought comes in, the idea space. Where was that before in the infinite amount of ideas? It wasn't there. So that's kind of like the intuitive approach for a more mathematical approach. Like what does it mean to count, right? So in order to count something, there has to be a bijection between the natural numbers and whatever set you're counting. So again, the natural numbers are just one, two, three, four, five, so on and so forth. What is a bijection? A bijection is an injection and surjection. And what are those two words? Uh, <laughs> math Mathematicians have the best language. Uh, so we an injection- this. Yeah, continue. Yeah, is basically a one-to-one -one function. So for every A, there is exactly one B. 
but not the whole domain of A doesn't have to go to the whole domain of B. So for example, if you have 4A and 5B, just every A has to go to, to 1B exactly once. That's onto. That's one to one. Something that is surjective or onto is all of A maps to all of B, right? And a bijection is something that is one to one and onto. So that's basically if there's five elements, it's, imagine you have three dogs and three cats, right? And the first dog maps to the first cat, the second dog maps to the second cat, and so on, right? And you have a bijection. There's a one to one relationship that maps both the whole uh, domain and range. And mm -hmm. when you count something, um, the thing that's interesting is that if there's a bijection, then there's the equal amount of elements, right? If there's a one-to-one -one relationship that is uh, onto, then the amount of the same they'll have the same amount of dogs as there are cats, right? So bringing this all together, something is countable if there's a natural a bijection between the natural numbers and what you want to count. So what you're essentially saying is that the idea space is uncountable because there is no bijection between the natural numbers and the amount of ideas. Because if we did it like the same example that we looked at, like in 1680, mm -hmm. we count all the different ideas. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Where was gravity in that? It wasn't there. So there's no bijection between the natural numbers and the idea space, and therefore it's uncountable. So are you are you saying that the idea space is the union of everybody's idea spaces? Fantastic question. There's two types of idea spaces. There are personal idea spaces and macro idea spaces. Personal idea spaces are idea spaces that you and I live in right now. Like you guys are looking at me, you guys have your own thoughts and no one can see these, those thoughts, right? It has zero measure, right? And intuitively zero measure is like, let's say you have a pen and it just shrinks, 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 and it shrinks in point where it just kind of vanishes, right? That's something that has zero measure. But the trick is that you can have something, something that has zero measure looks like nothing, right? If I got out a ruler and I tried to measure zero measure, I would get zero. If I got out a ruler and I measured uh, nothing, I would get zero. But you can have something that has zero measure and be uncountable, which is the idea space, right? So you have your personal idea space, which is kind of the one that we're living in, that you're just like living in just with your own thoughts. And then you have the macro idea space, which is the one that you get from just talking to people like you and I are doing right now, right? We're just like building this imaginary mm -hmm. globe of ideas <laughs> um, that's creating like unique content and creating new ideas that weren't there before. Yeah, mm. consciousness is really cool in this way because I think on a previous episode, Parker and I were talking about, I think this was on the Do You Even Exist uh, episode where I think I think it was Parker that gave the idea that if like we all are connected. Oh, no, was it this episode? Anyway, there was some episode where we were floating the idea of physical reality. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was this episode. Physical reality and consciousness being separated, like the mind-body problem. And the whole question was, or the whole the whole topic of discussion was, well, can we control or can we reach to this conscious space? And like now thinking about it, that's literally the idea. Like your idea space is basically how you define or how we were taking it to be like, hey, are we all just separately connecting to this consciousness, right? So basically what you're doing is you're finding a way to mathematically describe what we think of. Is that is that semi-accurate? Yeah, that was very well stated. And, and I like a good point you said where it's like you have mind-body duality, right? And that's like a, such a big problem in like just all humans, right? Like are we are we it controlled is. by the mind or are we controlled by the body? And like I think uh, Sam Harris had a good quote where it was like in order to solve mind-body duality, you need to introduce a neutral element to describe it. And I think the neutral element to describe it is clopin, 
this concept of something can be open and closed at the same time, um, which is a explain that in concept. terms of the idea space. Explain that in terms of the idea space because I want to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, a metric space is a way to define distance in between two points, right? So your typical distance is Euclidean, right? X squared plus B squared, X squared plus Y squared plus C squared, Z plus Z squared is your distance, right? Mm -hmm. But you can also have like a discrete metric where it's like the distance between any two points is one. Um, and you can also have a pseudo metric space where the distance between any two points is zero. Uh, so the way that you can group things, it can be open, closed, clopen, or neither. So let's think of a circle uh, that's like filled. Imagine that you have a circle and it goes all the way up until the boundary, like a radius of one, but it doesn't include one, right? That's open, right? You're getting, it's like if you ever play video games and like it lags and you're walking up against a wall and it's just like, that's kind of like open. Uh, closed is like that same circle, except when you hit the circle, it includes one. So if you're playing that video game, you just kind of splat up against the wall. Uh, so then the question, you can have something that's like neither. So it's like half open, half closed. So think of a circle where the left side is closed, but then the right side is open. And then you have this magic of clopen, right? So how do we get to clopen? So let's say that I have the number line uh, one through five, right? And it's closed. And let's take, let's say I take away the open interval one, two, right? What would I be left with? If I take away the open interval one, two, and I have zero to five, then I'm left with zero to one, including the point one, and then two to five, including the point two. If I take away the closed interval one, two, then I'm left with zero to one, not including one, because that's taken away, and then two to five, not including two, because that's taken away. So you see that the complement of an open is closed, and the complement of a of an, of a closed is open. So now the question mm -hmm. becomes, let's say you have a, place, a space that's closed, and you take out the null set, right, which is intuitively nothing. The null set is closed in nature because it contains all of its limits, right? That's what it means for something to be closed. So you take out nothing so that the complement, when you take out nothing, when you take out uh, something that's closed, it becomes open. So if you have a set and you take out nothing, which is closed, it becomes open. But you didn't take out anything. So it's it's open at the same time. So it's open and closed. So it's clopen. Um, and relating back to the idea space, it's like, really similar to like a closed mindset and open mindset where a closed mindset is like, man, I know everything there is to know about this. Right. Uh, like that happens to everybody, like including myself. I feel like an, I feel like a monkey and like an idiot 99% of the time. Uh, it's a great way to, to live. Um, and then you have like that open mindset where it's like, Oh, I'm eager to new, new ideas and everything. And the beauty of everything is you can go from a closed mindset to an open mindset by taking out nothing, which is just mm. kind of crazy. That's, that's such a math that's trickery. That's such a math thing. That's <laughs> that explanation was awesome. But I was thinking about something else the whole time. And mm. here, okay, this might this might be like a lot to say, but I'm gonna start with this. So in quantum mechanics, we have these Hilbert spaces where wave functions live, and the wave functions are kind of the objects that we study, and we have this like magical equation that the wave functions evolve through, I guess, which is the Schrodinger equation. It tells us how, you know, if you know the wave function at some time, it'll evolve according to this equation. So in like in parallel to the idea space, are there like, is there some way to describe how the elements of the idea spaces evolve in time? Because I'm thinking about how before anything was alive in the universe, there was just no ideas 
at all. And then at some point there was an, the very first idea and then all the way until now, is there some way to describe the way that that very first element has evolved over time all the way until now? Dude, fantastic question. Um, this is, uh, there's a lot to unpack in that. Um, and the way that I would say it is, so at the end of the book, I have in the appendix a nice little theory that I don't, it's like, so the whole point of physics is, again, an approximation of what we see, right? Uh, and there's uh, my little theory at the end is that our idea space is a reflection of the observable universe. So kind of like the way that ideas form is a similar way to the way that star, stars form in the sense that um, the whole point of general relativity is like if you have a trampoline, right? And you put a bowling ball in it, it kind of dips. And then it's that acts, that's like a theory of gravity, right? The bowling ball creates, you put some marbles around it, they'll spin around the bowling ball. Uh, and that's kind of what a star is with all of the planets and everything around it. Same thing with a black hole or whatnot. So my whole idea is that even the same thing occurs within our idea spaces where different ideas have different weight, right? Uh, and the identity of an idea space is it's kind of analogous to a black hole where it distorts and warps the idea space around it so much that you have all of these ideas kind of start like flowing around it. So for example, um, there's, I think I sent you guys a couple quotes before this, uh, but another, like an example of an identity would be uh, one for wellness in general, for me at least, and everyone has a different identity based on their idea space. And it's everybody lives two lives and the second starts when you realize you only live one. Uh, and that's a, a quote by Confucius. And for me, that like that, just that whole sentiment, because like the whole, the, there's more to the, just the thoughts, right? It captures the emotions, the sensations with that idea space. And so like a lot of the, my, my ideas on wellness revolve around that, I, that, that single identity, right? How do I live my life to a point where I've realized that, that I have two lives, right? Like I that, like that hit me when I first heard that. It was by Naval Ravikant and that just changed my whole life. I was like, man, like, am I doing what I want to be doing? Um, and it's like, it seems like you guys are, you guys are killing it. You guys have a podcast and you're going through, you guys like have 400,000 downloads. Like that's insane. You guys are just killing it. Um, so I'm so happy to see that. I love seeing people succeed and seeing you guys do this is awesome. And again, having you guys letting me go on makes my day. So um, I hope that kind of answered your question where it's like in the physical world, we have weight and mass kind of decide how mass interacts with everything around it. But in the idea space, it's similar, except instead of measuring mass, you measure energy, right? You know, you can get excited about an idea. Like you can, you can see it. You can't measure it at all, but you can you have like this this energy sensation. Mm. I was just going to ask if there was any, now obviously not yet, but like do you even have like an idea for a, <laughs> uh, for, for a way to possibly quantify like the energy of an idea? Now I know how abstract this sounds, but like do you, because yeah. I mean you're writing the book, right? So do you at <laughs> least have an idea that, okay, maybe this is what we can do? Like how, how, how do you think we weigh ideas? Like how do you think that that happens? Yeah, and it's tough because it's like the whole point of the idea space, it has zero measure, right? And something that has zero measure looks like nothing. So how do you measure something that looks like nothing, right? Um, and that's, I think this is where fractals comes into the picture, right? And if you're not familiar with fra fractals, with those, for those of you listening, it's basically you have a pattern and you just repeat the pattern. And then that's kind of like the fundamental way of looking at it. But obviously, it's it's reach. It's a lot broader than that. Um, 
and you have like a simple question is like, how long is the coast of Great Britain? Well, the answer depends on your measuring stick, right? If I have uh, like a one meter measuring stick, I'm going to get a lot smaller answer than if I have a an inch measuring stick, right? So the, the question becomes, um, when you get into fractals, you get in, into this thing called self-similarity dimension, which is basically the dimension of something like, for example, the Cantor set, right? It's the, the Cantor set basically is like you start with a line interval zero and one, you take away the open middle thirds, then you're left with two line segments, and then you take the open middle thirds of those two, and then you're left with four line segments, and you just kind of keep taking away the open middle thirds, and you can get a self-similarity dimension of that, which is around 0.6309. Um, so to answer your question, I don't think there is a way to measure like how exciting an idea is just because it has zero measure in nature, but I think the coolest, I think the a possible lead for it would be to kind of look at like a part like a follow the fractal approach to it or the fractal mindset mm -hmm. if you don't mind it, going going a little deeper before you continue into the the whole canter set and the whole idea behind a zero measure idea space because i think the uncount like that whole i because these are like the macro properties right of these spaces so i think it's mm -hmm. really fundamental to understand this very well before we continue so let me ask like what because you, you briefly, briefly described the Cantor set. I just want to know, kind of like in your best way of explaining, what does it really mean to have a zero measure idea space? Like, what does yeah, that really no, mean? Yeah, no, great question. So the thing, all right, so the Cantor set, you start with zero and one, closed interval. Then you take away the open middle thirds. You're left with zero to one third, and then two thirds to three thirds, right? Mm -hmm. And then you just keep mm -hmm. taking away the open middle third out of each interval. And the Cantor set is the intersection of everything as you go to infinity. Right. So the question, there's two questions from here. One, how many elements are there? Are there countable amount of elements or uncountable amount of elements? And two, what is the measure of the Cantor set? So we'll start talking about the, can the measure first, just because that's what you asked. So for something to have zero measure, um, let's say that I have an interval a, b, the distance is defined b minus a, right? Uh, if the distance b minus a is less than epsilon for all epsilon greater than zero, then something has zero measure, which is like in math, understanding that little epsilon greater than zero trick is like, like, uh, that's, that's like, that's, mm. that's, it's you'll, basically you'll get mathematically math. defining the words close enough. That's basically, exactly. that's basically it's, it's something that, that took us a, a really long time to really understand. I remember in, in, in first year, I only really got the whole epsilon thing as I was about to take my final exam. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I get like, I can see it now in my head. Yeah. Yeah. I think like for me, yeah. so the way I wrote the book is there's like over 350, there's like over 300 pictures in the book. Uh, like a picture is worth a thousand words and an idea is worth a thousand pictures, right? Um, so I, there's a, a good, oh, I put wow. a good drawing on limits in there that describes that. But like that's the, what something has zero measure. So the Cantor set, if you go all the way to infinity, there's no intervals. They're just dots. They're just endpoints. So it has zero measure in nature. Uh, and a good way of thinking about it is like Cantor dust. It's just kind of like, whew, like just particles flowing around in space mm -hmm. that has zero measure. Um, and to get why the idea space has zero measure... I want you to look for something in front of you and I want you to pick it up. Like for me, I have this little almond thing and I want you to hold it and I want you to feel it, right? You can measure it, you can feel it, but now I want you to close your eyes. And then when you close your eyes, I want you to keep measuring it and keep feeling it. In your head, do you see a mental image of what you're holding? I do. 
I do. Now the question becomes, can anyone see that mental image that's in your head? That's what it means no. to have zero measure. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like nothing, right? Because nothing oh, and zero okay, measure yeah, yeah. look the same. And that's what uh, hmm. I call in the book a topological singularity. It's something that has zero measure and is uncountably deep. And because it has zero measure, it looks like nothing, which is just like your idea space. Like, yeah. But you, you can also say that for anything, though. Like if I look at something, nobody will have that exact angle of that object that I have. So nobody can see the object like I see it. You know what I mean? Dude, boy, but do they I. can still see the object. <laughs> So this right. leads me into the sunset conjecture. So everyone lives at, so like, have you guys ever been on the beach and you're like walking it and like, it's like sunset and the, the sun is going towards you and you're like, damn, like this is a really nice sunset and it's going right towards me. Well, if you've ever been with a friend on the beach, he goes, no, the sunset's going towards me, you idiot. <laughs> so that kind of goes into the idea. Everyone is at the center of their own observable universe, right? So the sun that's coming towards you is because you're at the center of your own observable universe. But what happens if you extrapolate that thought process farther, right? Um, so the edge of our observable universe is something called the cosmic microwave background, which is the point at which the universe went from opaque to transparent. So from not being from light, just like not being able to move to light moving freely. So everybody has their own cosmic microwave background sunset. And then if you extrapolate a little bit further, you get a singularity is the hypothesized beginning of the big of the universe with the big bang right so everyone is yeah. at their center of their own observable universe and the singularity uh which the hypothetical graviton broke off as soon as, as Planck time so like 10 to the negative 44 seconds after the singularity happened everyone gets a different singularity sunset right everyone just and that's what goes into what you exactly what you were saying where you're seeing the thing but you're seeing it from a unique lens that is only true to you and i think that's like what's beautiful about being human it's just like for however like we we rely on words so much but words can only capture a specific portion of the idea space and that's why i think it's so mm -hmm. important to use pictures to use math to use body language to use tone because although you'll never get a perfect transmission of my idea space to your guys's idea space we can still get a common ground right and that's why i think koans and identity because so a koan is um kind of like a phrase that captures the identity of an idea space and so like for example that everybody lives two lives um the second starts when you realize you only live one that's a koan and that's how you transmit specific sub idea spaces from one person to the other it won't always hit right um but in sometimes it will and that those times are like that's like the magic of being human right being able to communicate mm. to each other sharing idea spaces you kind of put that out there, and I just started to think about that. Now, recently, very recently, we had the very first tweet that was sent out by someone's thought. I don't know if you guys been watching a lot no, of this, but that, th that happened awesome. quite recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was with, it was with the use of a brain chip on a paralyzed man who thought it and tweeted something. So, obviously, this is a this is literally the first time this has ever happened. But I'm saying 300 years from now, I'm saying. What do you think are the possibilities of sharing such ideas? Now, I'm not, again, saying just as you very well said, words can't really describe it. So I'm not saying I'm explaining my idea to you. I'm mm -hmm. saying you literally like get an input of my idea in your brain. Like, what do mm -hmm. you think that would look like? Do you think like that's that's like a possibility, a mathematical possibility? What are your opinions on something like that? 
first of all, that's congrats to the team that figured that out. That's badass, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big, big deal. Um, big deal. So my whole thing. So like the idea space is zero measure, right? So and it's uncountable. So basically, it's like it's really difficult to transfer from one person to the other. But again, we have to remember that's just an approximation. It's not the end all be all truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the way Karl Popper puts it, where science is a world of conjectures and refutations, right? You put a bold conjecture forward and you wait for refutations to come in the form of different observations that prove it to be true or not true, right? Or just not true because contrary to popular belief, science isn't about proving something true, right? It's about falsifiability. So it's like, if we can prove it wrong, then it's wrong. Like in, in statistics, you make a null hypothesis and the null hypothesis is either uh, you, you reject the null hypothesis, so it's not true, or you fail to reject. At no point are you saying, it's true. Um, (laughs) So to get to your question, it's like, according to the idea space theory, it would be very difficult, but I want it to be broken. You know what I mean? Like, I think defining the idea space as having zero measure and being uncountable, like I really wanted to drive people to like break it and be like, you know what? Screw you. You're wrong. Like, I'm going to figure it out. And I'll be like, yes, please figure it out. Like a TM (laughs) in Pokemon. Or like, if I could mm. just like learn a move, like cut and just chop down a tree, <laughs> that'd be legendary. <laughs> that would be very. That that would be very cool. Imagine like you're just so, like, hey, I want to be a warrior. Just download the skills. Like, how cool would that be? Like, the, the muscle memory. Like yeah. that would be so cool. Yeah, basically. So what about this? Um, because like the physical world and what we see and feel and smell and all that stuff, those are by your definition, those are all just ideas. And so my question, or I guess it's not really a question, but my idea is that like consciousness is basically the thing that is able to observe elements in the idea space. However, that kind of puts, like that kind of inverses the whole physical reality aspect to being alive because now instead of things actually being things everything is just an idea that is being experienced by consciousness in the idea space which is actually is just like some zero measure thing so in reality there is no out here it's all just in in the zero measure thing yeah so that's that's fantastic statement um and so let me, let me think about the best way to word this. Um, so I agree with that the, the, those things are just appearance. Because like, so in Buddhist philosophy, one of the, the main teachings is uh, in seeing, there is only seeing. In hearing, there is only hearing. In smelling, there is only smelling. In thinking, there is only thinking. And that's exactly what you said, right? Like consciousness is the light mm-hmm. or awareness that one shines onto an idea space. And that quote is kind of like, puts the whole question of I in question, like we're so used and accustomed to using our name and like uh, just like who we are as a person and we have attached an identity to who we are. But if we take a step back, we're able to see that who we are is just another appearance in consciousness, which is kind of terrifying at first when you realize, okay, like me, I, is just an appearance of consciousness just because there's so much attached to I, right? Like who am I supposed to be? Who, what am I supposed to do? But if you take a deep breath, you realize that it's actually pretty liberating um, because you're able to kind of look at your idea space from fresh perspective and to talk about what you said about how the world 
you would think that like the world is a projection of your idea space. Two things that come to mind is one, everything we see is in the past, no matter what, how far you are. Like me looking at this mic, this computer, it's in the past, which is kind of crazy in its own right. But then the other is like the world, we live in a cloven world, right? Like the world isn't true, false. The world isn't open, closed. We live in a cloven world. And the way that I view mind-body duality is that mind is open, the body is closed, and we can live clopenly between both. Um, because, like, we definitely have a body. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's something in there. <laughs> and I, I definitely have a mind. I just can't. No one else can see it. Um, and I think kind of like talking about what I was talking about before about Sam Harris, I think the finding a way to talk about mind-body mind body duality uh, in a very neutral way with clopen is... Um, will be a good way of unlocking a lot of tension in people because I don't know, like one of the big things I want for the idea space is to give a common language for mindfulness and kind of help spread mindfulness because sometimes it's very viewed as like a very mystical thing. So I really want to demystify it and put it in a way where, you know what, like it is important to look at your own idea space and reflect on kind of like what you're doing. Um, Yeah. And just hoping that perhaps by building a more scientific framework that, people especially sometimes in like who are very very scientifically oriented and kind of dismiss mindfulness as as a thing kind of just approach it with a new light i'm not asking them to fully dive into it but just kind of keep an open mind i'm Mm -hmm. thinking that this idea like of the idea space actually answers like a lot of questions like philosophical questions if you actually choose to believe in the in this theory of the idea space because i'm just thinking like if you if you if you state you know that every individual has their own unique idea space and i'm assuming you also believe given two idea spaces they will always be unique right like two separate idea spaces so then you know about those crazy philosophical problems right where they're like oh you live your life you take your brain put it in someone else's body see what happens mm. are you the same person a lot of this will be answered by this idea space because simply put, let me ask you what you think about such a problem. It, I forget what it was called, but it's like a very famous problem where like a mad scientist basically like swaps two people's brains. And the question is like, oh, like which one is which, you know, like is like if a if the bot, if the mind of a went into the body of B and the mind of B went into the body of a who is a and who is B. So. With your theory of idea spaces, tell me how you would approach such a problem. Like, would Mm. mind A that's now in body B, because, like, would it start to have, um, I I would assume, from any point onwards, you have new ideas, right? Or if you're using the previous ideas, you have new ideas that are building onto your previous ideas, right? So if you're comparing anyone previously to someone new, how do you compare their idea spaces? Like this person died, let's say when he was 40 and then continued his life in another body. But do they have the same idea space? No. But are they the same person? Like how would you tackle such? I don't know if that question yeah. makes a lot of sense. But no, tell dude, me. That was perfect it does? question. Okay, you okay. Guys are, tell me how you yeah. would tackle such a problem. You guys asked some really good questions, first of all. So thank you for asking them. Um, thank you. <laughs> so the way I'm thinking about it, or it's twofold. Um, the first, the idea space is an approximation. Again, it's not like the end-all, be-all truth. That's important uh, to know, yeah. The real, the real test is experience. It's life, right? Like, 
what do I see? What do I notice? What do I hear? What do I see? Um, and the second point is the idea space is impermanent. So, and I think impermanence and accountability go hand in hand together. Like you're not the same person you were five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. And you're probably not the person you were this morning, even though you might think you are. It's just like the idea space is always flowing. And that mm -hmm. kind of touches really closely onto accountability where there's always like a new number that you didn't count or a new idea you didn't have. Right. Mm -hmm. So putting those two things together to answer your question, I feel like it would still need to be tested. Right. Like the idea space is just like maybe that's the thing that like breaks the idea space completely. Right. Like, again, I'm totally cool having the idea space be completely wrong because um, the whole point of science is like falsifiability. Can you prove it wrong? Right. Um, but like so in my mind, the majority of the idea space resides in the brain. Like I'm still not like as as abstract and metaphysical the idea space is. I'm still like like I know like you have a left hemisphere, right hemisphere and like depending on kind of like one shuts off, the other turns on, a whole different slew of things happen. Uh, but I would say, as a guess, complete guess, that if I transferred my brain and all the... If I just transferred my brain by itself from one body to the next, I think you would get a, an amalgamation of idea spaces just because of the nerves of the other body would be muscle memory, and those would kind of affect the idea space of one person. But if you were able to somehow, some way get all the brain with all the nerves attached to it, maybe a different story, but like, this is because like, I think a big, this goes into, I think Parker, you were also talking on, about this too. It's like, what has an idea space and what doesn't, right? Like when was the mm -hmm. first idea space? So mm -hmm. if you look back through time and let's just start with the terrestrial options, life started around 4 billion years ago on earth. That's, that's possibility number one. Then a couple million or billion years after that, you get eukaryotic life, which is life with the nucleus. That's another possibility, right? Um, so, like, the question, like, there's so many different possibilities where, like, has consciousness always been there, right? Like, Elon Musk talks about this. He goes, like, we went from hydrogen after the Big Bang to, to, to us now being conscious. Like, when when, when did it happen? <laughs> um, and, like, clearly, in my mind, at least, like, dogs have an idea of space. Cats have an idea of space. 100%. Um, like, plants even like i remember seeing something crazy where yeah. uh like they played the sound of caterpillar not even a like a real like just the sound and the plant just produced um a certain chemical that kind of like triggered it i don't know if it's legit or not so go find mm. on twitter go find it on twitter or, or some reputable <laughs> source um but like yeah so it's like that's like a huge question it's like what has an idea space what doesn't are we simply the amalgam? Because like the way people talk about DNA and everything, it's like DNA is just a bunch of chemical processes, right? And then cells, they talk about, all right, cells are life. Um, but then like if cells don't have consciousness and DNA doesn't have consciousness and we are just a matter, an amalgamation of cells in one way, shape or form, like do we not have consciousness? But then at the same time, if like cells do have consciousness and we have consciousness, does everything have consciousness? So it's like mm. the question of free will is in my mind, Klopin, where we have free will and we don't have free will at the same time. It's like a, the, the world of true and false and yes and no and open and closed just gets shattered by the idea of Klopin. Um, and I think this, that's why Klopin is so beautiful. I, that's actually the chapter of the book. It's called The Beauty of Klopin just because it's, it's like, damn. Like, <laughs> and all you have to do to get from, not, from closed to open is take out nothing. So you don't do anything. Mm. It's just like, yeah. Mm. So like so, a formal, sorry, but just one, one thing. So like a formal definition of consciousness, you're basically saying is you are conscious 
if and only if you have an idea space. That's a so that's a that's a really good question. Is that is that, like is that, that what you're said, is that a formal if. way of saying that? I don't know um, because the thing that's interesting is an idea space and the elements of an idea space could have evolved differently than consciousness. So you could have an, a whole idea space, but something not be conscious, and then consciousness evolve separate of the idea space. You know what I mean? So, so you conscious. Is, okay. Yeah. Because I'm just, like, I'm I have just no interested idea. in knowing how you're how you're defining how consciousness is defined with the idea space. Because it's not a direct saying. link, right? Yeah. Now I know, I know it. It is kind of like, yeah, it's like the uh, adding to the discussion. Yeah, yeah no, so it's, it's kind yeah, of no. adding to it, right? So yeah. I'm just I'm just seeing how we can differentiate it because, like, I think I think a big a big purpose of this was to mathematically describe how we think, right? And a big a big question with that is, well, what is consciousness? Like, how do we or like we understand that? Hey, I'm thinking of this thing, but how do we quantify? How do we actually un like? How do we um you know, formally state that this thought just occurred and your way was the idea space. So I was just trying to, or just trying to th think of a way that this consciousness kind of fits in to the idea yeah. space. No, that's a great question. And I think like we talked about, it's just like the light that one shine onto an idea yeah. space. And it gets really tricky to define things just because definitions are so fickle um, in nature. Uh, I think there's another good Karl Popper quote that like the way I forget what it is, so I'm gonna butcher it. So I won't say it. But like the basic gist is like, you can't really define something perfectly just because. Um, in order to define something perfectly, it has to be true in all situations, and like, the only place where something can be true in all situations is usually just math, right? And physics is the applied math onto the world we see, and kind of what I was trying to go with the idea space. Exactly what you said, Ray. It's like how do we map mathematical concepts to consciousness? So yeah, I, I think it's like. We can define it as an approximation, but to give a very true, true, true definition, uh, I think that can only exist in the world of math, just because like that's that's the beauty of math, right? And the weirdest thing is, math is also an idea space, right? But like math is like the scaffolding that builds idea spaces, but it's also an idea space in itself, which is like weird. Okay, here is a visualization, and I've been mm. dying to not forget <laughs> what I've been thinking of. Okay. So I've been trying to think about what it means for something to be a part of an idea space. And so I started to think about, okay, let's pretend like an idea or like the, the space in which idea spaces live is like three dimensional, just so we can visualize it. And so like, what if an idea space, like what my personal idea space is just like a closed disc and then elements that are like ideas that are floating around in the more general idea space are a part of my idea space if they intersect this disk. But then I started thinking about things like, what does it mean for an idea to actually be in my idea space? For example, I know that integers exist. I have never thought of the number 3,560,007 However, I still understand that that number exists and also other numbers that I've never thought of. So like, what if you have like the number line that is in this like general space and my idea space is actually more like the surface of a sphere. And so the surface of that sphere intersects parts of that number line 
And so some of those numbers are actually or have been or are now in the idea space. But whatever is like inside the sphere that isn't actually intersecting my idea space is still somewhere within the bounds of my understanding. What yeah. do you think of that? <laughs> so like I was saying before, I think pictures are worth a thousand words, right? And that's why I put 300 pictures in the book. And I think for me, the easiest way to describe an idea space is, let's say you start with a circle, just a circle. That's an idea. It can be a thought, emotion, sensation, perception, whatever you want. And then when two circles meet, what happens? The two circles, there can be either the union, right? Where the, the everything from both circles get in, the intersection, where only obviously what's in common gets in, or the difference where just the parts that are unique to each idea uh, gets in. So then the, the key to the idea space is that like, you can amalgamate those in all different ways, shapes, and form, and you just can get like a 3D blob. And you can just do whatever kind of 3D blob you want. Um, and I can send you guys some pictures of what that looks like afterwards if you're interested. Um, mm -hmm. But kind of talk, going, continuing what you were saying, um, the whole point of an idea space is that it's a topological space at the end of the day. Uh, and what's a topological space? A topological space has to satisfy three quali qualities. I'm going to butcher the last two, so please bear with me. Um, the first one is that the null set and the, 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 the null set is in the space and the collection of all of the elements are in the space. So if you have a circle, the null set's in the circle and every element inside the circle is in the circle. The second is that the union of finitely many open inner uh, coverings is in the, the space M, right? Let's say we have a space M. So, and then you just say you have like 10 sub coverings that covers the whole space M. And then the last one is the intersection of any two um, open intervals is also within the space M. Um, so those are the three defining properties. I might have butchered the last two. I might've flipped kind of like what those are, but we can Google them to be sure. Um, but yeah, so like that kind of like builds, a that builds a topological space. And the beautiful thing about a topological space, it doesn't need a metric. So it doesn't need a way to define distance between point A and point B. So there's no need to define the distance between one an idea and the other idea. They can just exist, right? And if we were to put a metric on it, if we wanted to, it would be the pseudo metric, right? Where the distance between any two points is zero because then that, that maintains the property that the idea space has zero measure. So why does an idea space have to be a topological space? I don't know if it has to be. Again, it's just like an approximation. Like, how do we, like, mm. um, Karl Popper said, I, I, a lot of Karl Popper for me today. Um, uh, pure <laughs> mathematics, which primitive proofs, uh, only give us ways to describe the world, right? So, again, it's just an approximation of just like, how can mm. I describe consciousness in the most fundamental level? And I think topology is the most fundamental way, in my mind at least, of, of, of math, right? Everything, like, all of algebra, kind of stems, whether you have groups or anything like that, stems from a topological foundation of how groupings work. Um, so it doesn't need one, but just a way of describing it. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think of a question about like relating the idea space to like, we know physical space kind of plus time, space time as something we experience and where do these idea spaces kind of interact with space and time? 
Yeah. So like the physical, kind of like, like the physical interaction is what you're asking about. Mm-hmm. Oh, with like with the with like your well, physical. Not, not, and your it's not necessarily a physical interaction, but you know, like how. Yeah. Because we we can kind of observe how space and time play together, but then how when you introduce the idea of space, how do these three things play together? Yeah. So couple of things from there. The first is that the idea of space has zero measure. So it doesn't actually affect space and time. It sits outside of space and time. Um, mm. Because if something has measure, it has mass, it has energy, it can cr- kind of like the trampoline. It pushes down on the, the trampoline of space time. Um, so that's kind of like the first aspect of it. It kind of sits outside of it, which opens up a whole can of worms. Um, <laughs> and the second is like, we still have a body, right? Like our mind body are connected. It's cloping, right? Mind body duality. And the beautiful thing about um, space and time is that is, is or the rules of, of special relativity. So Einstein's equivalence principle basically states that um, on a really small scale, the, the, the rules of special relativity apply. So what does that mean? So let's say you have a stationary observer. You guys are just looking at me and we're in the same room. Let's say I walk across my camera right from like left to right like this. When I move in this direction, my body contracts. Uh, in that direction relative to you two because you're stationary and to make up for that contraction my time slows down so like that it's like the twin paradox right if you have to send an astronaut to space and he goes around the earth really 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 fast and comes back down he's going to be biologically younger than a twin who was born at the exact same time so kind of like bringing those two together it's like you have a mind that somehow controls body in some way shape or form still have no idea how that all works (laughs) but then like when you move in like the thing that's interesting to me is space time is malleable right simply by moving by talking by being human we can affect the way space and time like we can warp space and time around us simply by doing those things um so like that's kind of like how the idea space and space time are related because like everything we see is in the past so like you get this cool thing where like if your idea space is the present i don't really know if it is like if it is um then you can kind of control what you do and then that kind of affects people who are outside right in in a very unique way and it's like a very obvious truth right like no duh if i do something it's gonna affect something else but like on a very fundamental level on a physical level it's like looking at it through that lens kind of like reinvigorates the truth and sometimes it's important to state the obvious because if no one ever stated the obvious then the obvious would be forgotten mm. oh that's that, that's powerful i'm just thinking about the separate because you you were honing in on the point of because you were also kind of briefly talking about how the idea space is separated right from physical reality and it has to be due to the zero measure and all of the properties of it but i'm just thinking about like, you know, there are multiple theories that it reintroduce or like introduce a field, for example, on top of the universe that excludes something. For example, I was reading there's a theory that doesn't require, uh, no, that or that proved or doesn't require dark matter or something by simply putting a field on top of the universe and saying, oh, it's actually this field that's doing this thing. So in your case, the apply it is basically what you're saying is you're just applying this idea space to this universe, this separated field almost because it's not directly on the reality field right so you're applying the separated field basically just to answer a bunch of these questions that we have about the reality in the first place yeah and the thing that's important to remember is that uh all the physical theories are approximations like they're not end-all be-all truths and like the thing that's crazy to think about like the concepts of space and time are also 
uh, like human inventions in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Think about like, it, yeah. What ha- like the big question is like, what happens if you take out everything you know and you observe to what is actually given? What are you left with? And that's like what it means to be human, right? Like you have your sensations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is there, and I, I've been wanting to ask this question because Parker and I have been talking about this a lot and I, I just want to ask you, I don't know if this has something directly, but you just gave me this idea. Is there an objective truth to the universe? I don't know how anybody can produce an answer. No, what my my question, what my, okay. More specifically, more specifically in this, like natural laws, do natural laws exist? Like not, not only natural laws, but like, for example, Parker and I were talking about, like we, we, we talk about these ideas where it's going to be funny because I think we've brought this out on a podcast before. Like if a tree falls in a forest and nobody was there to see the tree, what did it really fall? So my question is, if no one was really there to see it, so that means in this case, we're also, we're also linking reality with your idea space. Because obviously what you're saying is what you're seeing adds to your idea space. So I'm saying taking out all of the idea spaces in the universe. That means, remember you said there's a personal and there's a macro idea space. So taking away the macro idea space in the universe, would there still be events or like, by this logic, again, this is all opinionated, I guess, Parker, you're right. There's no real answer to this. But what do you think? Do you think that there is a reality that is simply dictated that does not require these idea spaces to be there to occur? Mm. What do you think about um, that? It's a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll unpack it a couple different ways. So the first one is like, are there natural laws in the first place? And my answer would be no. Um, and this is a good example Richard Feynman gives in his lectures. It's like when you look at think about the atom, right? Well, the Greeks thought about it, it was like a, a dot, a circle. But then Rutherford introduced it was like an orbit. But now it's like a quantum model is like an electron cloud. But then you look at quantum field theory and string theory. It's like, oh, no, it's fields. So like the, the deeper you study something, the falser and falser it gets. And that kind of goes into the uncountability of the idea space where... Um, Every idea generates a new idea, right? So I think it's impossible to define natural laws. But then to go to your question, it's like if you're saying you're asking, like, if there is no consciousness and there is no kind of like observation to something like did it happen Um, or was it? uh, Yeah, that's like a fantastic question. Um, Yeah, we talk about this a lot. And also, (laughs) if you think about if there exists a universe with no observers in it, does that universe actually exist? And another way I guess you can put it is that our universe, we can say, oh yeah, obviously our universe exists and we can make predictions about how it started. But in reality, we can only see so far back in the past. And so what if at that point in time, at like recombination, which is, you know, what we see in in the sky all around us um what if that's like a wall in time where like before recombination it was just like a dividing by zero glitch where like all of the initial conditions were set and then when like the video game was ready to play it just started from recombination 
and everything just evolved from there. So yeah, the only thing right. we can do is really say like, oh, here's a, a natural way <laughs> that the events could have played out from from the very beginning, but we really don't know what actually happened. Yeah. So great, great statement, and a couple of things that come to mind. The first is like, our when you when, when you say our universe, it's like, I think a a common fallacy because it's like makes sense because like we we all think we live in the same universe. But, like, everyone lives at the center of their own observable universe. So there's, like, a tiny bit of light that's hitting you guys that's not hitting me. And there's a tiny bit of light that's hitting me that's not hitting you guys. Um, just because of the, the observable universe is always expanding, right? So everyone kind of lives in their own universe, which is kind of weird. But, like, obviously, it's a lot of overlap. Um, and the second point is, I think that's kind of what inflation is meant to be. So if you look at the Big Bang, it goes singularity, uh, Planck time, grand unification epoch. Uh, inflation and then you get the hot big bang model and then you get the couple other stuff that's happening and then the 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 point that we can say we're pretty confident by we i mean physicists because i'm not a physicist i'm just a dude (laughs) who likes math and physics um is the electro weak transition so i forget when exactly it happens um I want to say it's uh, the electro weak transition. Actually, it happens at 10 to the negative 10 seconds after the Big Bang, give or take. Um, and that's the point where, so grand unification is like when all the forces were basically one other than gravity. Uh, after inflation, the strong force broke off. And then you had the electro weak force that were one. And then at electro weak transition, that's when the those two forces broke apart. Um, and at the electro weak transition, that's when the Higgs mechanism kicks in. And the Higgs is just a field that creates, that gives uh, the fermions matter, that gives fermions mass, which are the quarks and then the leptons, and then it gives the W and Z not, the W and Z uh, bosons their mass. So up until that point, you can, in the laboratories, you can collide particles pretty, at those energies required to show that everything after that kind of like happens, right? Uh, but before that, it's still really hypothetical. And so the beauty of inflation is that it kind of like, it's like that reset that you were talking about, um, where like a, there's a good way of viewing inflation is like, let's say you have a picnic table and it's all bundled up together, right? Inflation is basically you take that, this is like a Hawking analysis, um, analogy, where you take the side, you, you kind of like make it really flat, really smooth, really fast. And so the way that that works is kind of creates a whole, it's like a reset. And like, um, there's a huge depth of analysis that goes with inflation. That was an idea that was uh, pioneered by Alan Guth in like the 1980s. Um, and it's, it's like some super smart people have like talked about it and different models for it and kind of like different, like there's, there's the idea of like when you create a black hole, it could create a new inflationary model. And like, so like if you're trapped in it, like that's the inflation and that's like, it kind of resets the universe inside the black hole. Um, but those are just like crazy. Like it's hard. There's no evidence because we can't see in a black hole, obviously. So yeah, that kind of goes into what you were saying. So comparing the Big Bang to the theory of the idea space, I think that might be interesting. Because the Big Dude, Bang, yeah. we, were, we were kind of honing in on the inflationary aspect of the Big Bang. So I just want to explore the possible inflationary aspect of the idea space question mark what do you think about that well that oh, also like God. has issues with the zero measure thing right because what is actually expanding? no but i'm saying i mean no, i'm so, not necessarily yeah, okay so well, like, yeah the, 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 let me hear you say it let me hear you like, say it 
you could do it because right like the whole point of the idea space is the distance between two objects is zero no matter what right so even if you expand a lot it's still zero um and that's kind of like my there was a my thesis uh, at the end of the book is that the universe and the idea space are symmetric so like for example there's like the math I, there, there's some math behind it i can send it to you guys if you're interested it might be a lot to unpack here um but essentially it's like the question becomes like well, how did the universe start no one really knows like did it come from a bouncing universe or did it go from nothing to something similarly how does an idea space starts how like when do you become aware of your thoughts right like where do thoughts come from no one really knows it's from nothing to something or is it a bounce from an old idea space to a new idea space right and then the question becomes so much more change in the first three minutes of the big bang of hot like the universe than the remaining 13.8 billion years right and similarly with our idea space more happens in the first instant that the idea space gets created than the rest of the idea space so for example if something unpleasant happens to you how much time do you spend create fictitious scenarios in your head of like what could have actually happened right you're like oh man if only i said this right but like that's because like the first incident of that idea space just dictated the rest of that idea space and so if you're the, the beauty of mindfulness is, is you become of idea spaces when they arise and you can kind of limit those idea spaces from creating and then continuing the thoughts that i was kind of talking about earlier where it's like you have mass and mass kind of like is a bowling ball and a trampoline, which is analogous to what space time is and how stars and just mass dictates our universe. What if something similar holds true with our idea space where you have ideas that have a heavier weight? Um, and the math that I propose behind it is like, so you have the Cantor set and the whole thing about the Cantor set is that it's the universal compact metric space uh, because you can take a surjection from the Cantor space. You can take a continuous surjection from the metric from with you can take a continuous surjection, which is an onto mapping from the Cantor set to any compact metric space. So the question becomes, is the universe compact? Is the idea space compact? And you, no one knows, right, if the idea space is compact or not. But then the universe, uh, Hawking and Ellis showed that the whole thing can't be compact. It just can't. Um, and the question becomes, is our observable universe compact? So you were talking about the Hilbert space. So what's the Hilbert space? The Hilbert space is a complete uh, inner product space. So a complete space is a place that has all of its limits. And an inner product space is basically just the dot product. So the, the question becomes, how do you go from complete to compact? Well, the Hein-Borel theorem states that if you have a closed and totally bounded uh, complete metric space, then it is also compact. So for example, you have the real number line from negative infinity to infinity. That's not compact. Uh, but if you take the interval a, b, that's closed, that becomes compact. So if the observable universe at a specific point in time is a, a, a sphere in R3, right, just a sphere around us that's closed, then it becomes compact. So then you can do the continuous surjection from the Cantor set to the uh, universe, and then you can continuous surjection from a Cantor set to uh, the idea space. And all Cantor sets are homeomorphic to each other, which is basically like, have you ever seen like the people take a trick where they take a piece of string and they make the Eiffel Tower out of it? Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like, that's a homeomorphism where it's like you're taking a set or a space and converting it to another space by like twisting it, bending it, but without puncturing it. So if all Cantor sets are homeomorphic to each other and you have one Cantor set that's a, a continuous surjection to an idea space, and another Cantor set that's a continuous surjection to the observables, your observable universe, then you kind of get like this reflective model. And 
that was a lot of math and i feel like everybody's listening to this and be like what the hell is this guy talking about <laughs> no i think actually we'll no that was our, awesome. our, our listeners <laughs> love talk, us talking about math actually encourage us to do so so okay well, no definitely perfect, not not discouraged at all i would just that's actually a very interesting way to think about like the because because i mean i was i, I was just hearing like multiple things like the weight of an idea in this idea space and like adding all these these maps together that's actually a pretty interesting idea because at like i guess the next step would be to even further define this idea space and to understand how these ideas are weighted and whatnot right like things that we were yeah. basically kind of going over that's a very interesting idea yeah i think mm. this is only the it beginning be, it'd be cool to, to see if like these these like primitive theorems about you know like okay what i'm trying to say is that here's a here's an analogy so before we knew how to describe gravity obviously people had ideas about oh <laughs> things go down mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so <laughs> an analogy to like the idea space like before we even had something to describe consciousness and where ideas live people came up with things like the, the law of attraction and it would be cool to like see the idea space idea develop further and then like the law of attraction like just falls from the axioms of what constructs the idea space yeah and i think this exactly like the the big question is like before gravity before einstein introduced gravity did gravity actually exist right like and you might mm-hmm. think yes, but like if you think about it, like no, like no one really, like I, gravity didn't really exist, and like that goes back to the whole thing where physics is really just an approximation for the world around us, and like I think the whole point of general relativity is to kind of like it's the the way that Steven Weinberg's RIP uh, says it is like in one of the first pages in his book um, says that like this is general relativity is really a theory of gravity like. Uh, it makes gravity obsolete because gravity is just the warpage of space-time. So, for example, if you're in a rocket that's accelerating at 9.81 meters per second squared and you have a computer on there that tells you that you're on Earth, would you be able... And it's a windowless spaceship. Would you be able to tell that you're on Earth? Just because you wouldn't, right? Um, So, Mm -hmm. basically, what you're seeing is that gravity and acceleration are one and the same thing. So, if you take a glass and you throw it across the table right? The water, the liquid in the glass is going to tilt one way and then tilt the other way, right? And if you were like a tiny species living on that, would you be able to tell whether that was due to acceleration or a gravitational force? Mm-hmm. Again, you don't know. So like, that's why gravity is a pseudo force. And I think that's why physicists have been so hesitant to put graviton on this, on the standard model, just because it's like, you know what, maybe it's not there. Uh, but then that's like the whole mm-hmm. question of like, quantum gravity right like what happens below Planck scales of 10 to the negative 33rd centimeters do space and time split like um no one really knows and that's kind of like the the big the big question mark in physics right now i think the advantage Mm -hmm. of what you're currently doing is that it doesn't necessarily need to comply with like all these various laws because let me tell you um as you were saying like what happens at the scale 
so I mean I, I mentioned this a lot because like I I love to I love to talk about this. I'm uh, I mean la- last summer I did this quick little research project with the with a professor from another university, and he was studying loop quantum gravity and its effects around like black holes. So like the whole research study or like the study that I was performing in was basically like what are the various equations of motion of of these of space basically around these really tight singularities around these basic space anomalies, right? Like or as you said like in these in these very small scales like how do we quantize general relativity right and that's and that's literally like the, the, that's what we were doing and the, your advantage in this situation is that you don't really need to like you know conform to any of that because right now like people are creating these theories people are creating the needs for all of these various fields and all these various things because they're like oh it has to make sense with special general with quantum it has to make sense with everything you are in a field where really nothing has been done like it's all open to interpretation because like who is defined consciousness right who is even taking a step maybe people exist they're at least not known to us so like that's a very interesting space did you think about that like before even getting into something like this that hey no one's really dabbled with something like this so i can basically theorize anything i want and see what happens like was that a thought first, or were you still yeah. like let me hear that great use of the word dabble first that's <laughs> gets, that gets a shout out that's one of my favorite yeah. words um yeah. but no like to be honest like i just like so the, the, i just like needed to so the way so naval ravikant the same guy that i quote a lot said that you got to find something that'll make you money while you sleep so that you don't sell your time right time is the most valuable thing not money uh but the conundrum is that you don't realize that until you have money um so I was like, how do I like save my time? Right. It's like, I can't, like I can code, but like not the best coder, but like I read a lot. Maybe I can try to write a book. So my whole idea was like, what are the most Lindy proof ideas? And Lindy proof is just something that had withstood this test of time. It's been here for a long time. It's going to be here forever. So math has been here forever. It's going to be here forever. The English language hasn't been here forever. It won't be here forever. Right. Um, so I just wrote about things that were Lindy proof. Um, and I had no idea what I was going to get out of it, to be honest. I just like wrote, 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 wrote. And then like I started p- putting the pieces together. Um, and that's kind of like how the idea space came to be. But to, I think the, first of all, really cool research gig. That sounds like an awesome thing to learn about. It was, um, yeah. And like one of the theories I have, it's also in the end of the book, is like um, one of the conundrums with general relativity is that it, it's hard to describe quantum mechanical effects using general relativity, right? And I think the beauty of Clopin does a really good job at that. So, for example, you get particle wave duality. What is that? Basically, a particle can be a wave or a particle depending on kind of how you measure it, right? And so the way that Clopin really ties into that really well is that um, let's say you have a space-time manifold. Uh, that space-time manifold is going to be Hausdorff. And what that means is that every point is disjoint from each other. So there's no overlapping of points. They're basically just like this perfectly. So every point is closed in nature, right? So what happens if you take out nothing from those points that are closed? They become clopin. It becomes clopin, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like then you get particle wave duality, right? You get uh, open is a wave, closes the particle, and then every single point in space-time, it's like, because, like, right now, the whole thing is fields, right? You have a quark fields, mm-hmm. you have lepton fields, and, like, just all the different fields. So, it's, like, you have, like, this other topological field of just, like, clopin, where if it's closed, it's a particle. If it's open, it's a wave. 
And if it's clopin, it's just the particle, the ability to be both, right? And obviously, that's just an approximation that's not written in textbooks. So, like, if you're listening to this and, like, trying to study for one of your QFT <laughs> exams, just go read some Daryl Schroeder or someone else. <laughs> They'll provide you better answers. And this is, like, again, like, physics is just an approximation of kind of what we see. And in my eyes, I think clopin does a good job of talking about discussing particle wave duality. But, like, mm-hmm. I think, like, if like a physicist hears this he'll be irate and be like no you can't speak of this so we're having fun yeah. here <laughs> i guess um <laughs> to put like the final words to this podcast where do you think this is going in the future like where are you where do you hope to bring this theory oh man great question like i think it would be a dream if like others build on it right like i have like i think for me i think it's just like the beginning of something new and something great in my, I hope, I hope, right? Like, I'm biased, obviously, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, but like, I really hope, like, one day someone comes in and just exposes it for what it is. Like, like the way that like Stephen Hawking did Einstein's theory of general relativity with the large structure of space time. Like that book is just like a, oh, so good. Like it just mm. so good. Um, so yeah, it's just like, I think it's just like a starting point. And like again, I think. I really want to demystify mindfulness in a way where people end up practicing and just kind of like take a deeper look at themselves and just kind of don't like they want more out of life just because like a lot of a lot of people I know like they just spend a lot of their time drinking especially in college um it's like it's just what happens it's cool like it's fine um we all go through it but like too much drinking can be bad obviously and then it like takes away and then like a lot of my friends like i know like they work nine to five and they just like do that lifestyle and it's just i want to i want to like tell people that you don't have to be a mathematician to understand math you don't have to be a physicist to understand physics if you open up the bridge between idea spaces then you'll really be able to understand whatever you want like you're not gonna be you're not you won't be able to understand everything but you'll be able to understand more than you didn't know and i think that's really important for people to kind of just go out there and try new things and follow their passion and i think that would be like the or the ultimate goal from the book Mm. i think that's a nice way to put it like a nice way just to live life is just keep increasing your idea space you know like that's just a nice way like don't do anything that you've already done that already seems meaningless you know explore new things you know attempt new tasks uh, go on new adventures and stuff like that. So I think I think that's an that's a really nice concise way to do it. It would be very it's very interesting. I definitely want to see. Um, first of all, definitely let us know when the book gets published. That would you, be, that would be definitely want, let like, us know. I'll send you guys a, a before it gets published. I'll send you guys a copy of it. Don't worry. Um, that would be so wonderful. Like, <laughs> so like I have to awesome. I have to be I just have to be mindful because if anything goes on the internet before. I published, then I can't publish it. So that would kind of just. I mean, you me, can trust. I, will, I don't. I don't know why we would <laughs> post anything. Of course, we yeah. can trust us. But that <laughs> yeah, would be but really... you guys will get a copy for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I'm awesome. very interested really to cool. see how, like, you know, the future of consciousness can tie in with this particular idea. Because I mean, I really see some a lot of precedent, like a lot. Not precedent, the wrong word, but like a lot of a lot of gravity in this in this in this field and in this theory. You know, like I really I really appreciate it, and I will definitely. I mean, keep continuing continuing to work on this theory and you know see if where you can take it very very exciting stuff very (laughs) exciting stuff yeah and thank you guys both for having me on there on here it's been a blast you guys have asked incredible questions you guys are killing it and like keep killing it like keep doing the podcast like you guys 
But you guys are living life, and that's the way Thank to you. do it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, it was awesome to have you on. Um, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Yeah, great question. So um, mostly on Twitter. Uh, so you can follow. Uh, my name is Clément de Crop, which is a little tough for people, especially in the States. So uh, my Twitter handle is at cream of de Crop, D-E-C-R-O-P. Um, and yes, I'll text you guys. I'll send you guys my info too if you guys need it. Um, yeah, we'll be putting it all in the description, so don't really worry about that. Like, if you have any additional things that you wanna you wanna just showcase yourself on, it'll all be in the description below. Also, like your name cool. will be on the title itself, so that's all right. Anything else that you wanna you wanna tell you wanna mention to our listeners before? Uh, I'll end. Uh, before today? I'll end on a koan, like the an identity of an idea space, a big one that's I think really important. It's by Naval Ravikant, and he says. Uh, the means of learning are abundant. It's the desire to learn that's scarce. Oh, that's Very powerful. Nice. Oh, that's Very powerful. Nice. Oh, that's powerful. Oh, th- th- this that literally nice? applies to our last episode because we literally spoke about all the various resources to learn physics. So like the means yeah, are university. abundant. They really are. <laughs> yeah. It's all about <laughs> exactly. the desire. It's all about the desire. That's a, that's a really good quote. That's a really good quote. We can end it there for so sure. So if you're listening to this episode right now, make sure to rate it five stars on Spotify. Subscribe, follow everywhere, leave a comment. And uh, yeah, this has been episode number 94. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we will see you soon. Bye, guys.